welcome back to Canes in the Margins, the podcast series dedicated to re-energizing the mental health needs of people with blindness or visual impairment through education, communication, and collaboration. I'm your host, Clarissa Richardson, Christian mental health practitioner, doctoral candidate, and critical disability scholar. In today's episode, we critically examine the concept of identity for people with blindness or visual impairment through the lens of liberation health and critical disability theory. We provide education on identity development as both a social and personal construction, one that requires a masterful comprehension as well as a level of discernment. Most importantly, we provide education on how health professionals, namely VR counselors, orientation and mobility professionals, and care practitioners can aid in such discernment efforts by asking the right questions. We then will introduce the blindness equation, which I am quite excited to share with you all. And we'll end the discussion with discipline-specific approaches that can be implemented into practice with people with BVI, as well as a modified empirical tool that I will share with you all. So let's begin. So first, we need to ask the question, what does identity have to do with liberation? Perhaps more specifically, what does blindness have to do with liberation? Well, let's first define liberation health theory. Liberation health theory was introduced by Belkin Martinez in 2014, and it's a combination of radical social work, liberation psychology, and Paulo Fiere and popular education. And it focuses on expanding traditional casework into actionable practices that serve to disrupt the interplay of dominant socio-political forces. So liberation health theory can be understood as a theoretical framework, right? one that promotes actionable practices for approaching clients in clinical practice settings with the intent of reorganizing the traditional approach to therapy. So in a participatory sense, clients become subjects, developing a new consciousness, a new reality that rejects the passive sense of self, allowing for meaningful progression to occur in the context of their problem. So in the realm of liberation health theory, identity development becomes a collaborative effort to reject the passiveness of assumptions relating to social constructions. So a clinical provider, such as a clinical social worker, 
or mental health counselor, encourages clients to challenge their ascribed identities with the goal of creating subjective identities. For example, having blindness or visual impairment is ascribed with general expectations and role assumptions, thereby making it difficult to have a divergent sense of understanding or experience relative to blindness. And you can hear more information or read about more information rather when you look at the scholarly section, uh, Moya 2006 and Alcoff and others 2006, if you're so inclined to do so. So most people assume people with BVI have tragic and sad lives, right? So the presence of any mental health symptom or mental health symptoms makes sense then, right? Because they're blind. So of course they're going to be sad. But this misconception only perpetuates the general fallacy that life is forfeit for people with BDI, that due to their blindness, there is no reason for living. Happiness is short and circumstantial, and that is not true. Farthest from the truth, actually. Blindness is complex, and it varies depending on the individual. It is not instantaneous vision loss, and that's it. There are phases of vision loss that are medically implicated, so vision can become worse or better and everything in between. Most importantly, vision loss is similar to other losses, such that the majority of people really do learn to manage the changes and do not wake every day thinking, oh, another day of suffering, despite popular belief. Rather, it is the insufferable conditions that perpetuate concepts of loss. I want to pause briefly to share a story about my mother. I think it will help deepen the understanding of this concept of um, loss and um, social implications. So as many of my listeners know, my mother is blind and is the reason for the passion and effort behind this podcast series. Um, I want to share a recent experience that my mother had. And unfortunately, these experiences are not few and far between and occur quite often in her life. My mother uses a guide dog for mobility, and she has done so for a large portion of her life. Having a guide dog is what most people would most people with BVI would describe as a team effort to tackling mobility. It's a beautiful relationship between a person with blindness and that dog that wants to serve as a guide and a friend. So my mother decided to visit a department store following church on a particular Sunday afternoon. And just to give you all a comparison understanding to sighted folks, most people with BVI have to plan ahead of time, sometimes weeks to prepare an outing because of the lack of transportation and all of those associated codependencies related to that. So planning an outing, particularly when you are lacking dedicated transportation, can be quite the endeavor and equally fatiguing in general. So this specific outing was pre-planned and she was seeking a particular item. She arrived via bus at this department store 
And when she arrived at the department store, she began shopping around and seeking the particular item she had intended to purchase. And she told me that a parent of a child, a father, began to follow her around the store, attempting to have the child play with or otherwise interact with her guide dog. So the following, the pointing and chasing became such a disruption and obsession, really, that it caused my mother to become quite distracted and her guide dog, too, became distracted as it was trying to lead my mother away and also attempting to cognitively conceptualize the issue. Um, my mother eventually asked the father to leave her alone and stop following her. And that intervention was effective, albeit very short-lived. The father continued to issue the child around here and there and, you know, eventually became such a frustration and such a recurring problem that my mom just decided to check out and leave the store. So she decided to go to the checkout and she arrived at the checkout. And once she had finished, she turned around. She noticed that the father and child again were extremely close to her, trying to interact with her guide dog again. So at this point, my mother finally says, I need you to stop. I've asked you to stop and you continue to bring your child around. And this is a service dog. You can't interact with it. I'm blind. It's trying to help me navigate. And this is when the father becomes visibly upset and replies, I can go wherever I want to go and my kid can do whatever they want to do. And if you don't want kids playing with your dog, then you can leave. Kids are everywhere. And so my mom, being a professor and educator, she feels compelled to teach this man um, information that he might not be aware of. So my mom, you know, reminds the man, sir, I'm blind. And, you know, this dog is not an ESA dog. It's it's not a pet. It is a service animal. And, you know, you cannot interact with it. And the man replies, you're not blind. And it's at this point that the cashier says, you need to leave. And listeners, she wasn't speaking to the father. She was speaking to my mother. Yes. And my mother was kicked out of this store because she was, quote, unquote, making a scene. I remember my mother calling me and she was overwhelmed. And she told me that she felt abandoned, that she felt embarrassed. And she told me that she tried to teach people, that she tries to teach people. And among all of the constant challenges and barriers from simply existing in an unaccommodating world as a blind person, she also has to feel this way. And she felt alone. And she wasn't able to get her items as well. I need to emphasize to my listeners, my mother is not weak, very far from it. But even in these moments, her resolve is affected. She staggers, and it's within these staggering instances that her identity is questioned. In Versheldon's book titled Bandwidth Recovery 2017, the author discusses the effects of social marginalization as a loss of cognitive resources. Cognitive resources can be understood as the availability of mental capacities toward problem solving or otherwise problem analyzing. So 
you know, when we imagine social marginalization, we often think primarily of the ways marginalized communities are affected physically, right? Such as inaccessibility to public places or opportunities, right? However, while true, and in respect to the earlier narrative retelling of an experience that my mother had, there is also a cognitive or mental consequence to social marginalization. Constant microaggressions, prejudice, and discriminatory practices take a toll on the ability for people to problem solve, to think, to make rational decisions. These are mental health implications. So retreating to the concept of ascriptive versus subjective identities within identity development for people with BVI, often these are prepackaged as absolute right, such that blindness as an identity category is connected to all other aspects of identities for the person as well. So their career choice, their hobbies, their accomplishments, their fears, and of course, their mental health. And this perspective of identity is what Moya 2006 describes as an essentialist approach, whereby any significant identity is presumed to follow blindness as a category. A good example of this is the often used phrase, oh, wow, that's amazing, despite your disability, that you can do X, Y, Z. When people with BVI are observed to do things that would suggest being outside of that essential place, such as being a track runner and also having blindness, right? Moya, 2006, conceives and suggests working from a realistic conception of identity. Realists about identity, by contrast, understand ascriptive and subjective identities as always in dynamic relationship with each other, right? Realists understand that people are neither wholly determined by the social categories through which they are recognized, nor can they ever be free of them. Indeed, the intimate connection between the organization of a society and the available social categories that we must contend with in that society accounts for why no transformation of identity can actually take place without a corresponding transformation of society and vice versa. So there are historical trends um, relative to the role of disability as a classification measure, and it has been utilized to conceptualize problems for people with BVI for decades. And you can notice um, research by Herendani, 2019, R. Luke and Gritzer, 1985, and Habermas, 1987, if you're interested in the scholarly section. And all of these, these conceptualizations of problems for people with BVI they in turn impact how mental health symptoms are managed by VR, O&M, and care practitioners. You know, within many health organizations, the medical model is dominant as it aligns with the pedagogical truths inherent to most health rehabilitation professionals. And really what it is, is the presence of the two models inhibits holistic understanding based on discipline-specific training and promotes conjectures of need for people with disabilities. 
So when we're considering the historical trends denoting the dichotomous processes that occur when health professionals behave consistent with the medical or social models of disability and current research identifying discrepancies in the objective and subjective evaluations of visual impairment and correlations to depressive and anxious symptoms, uh, two points are suggested. Number one, health professionals are choosing one of the two models of disability without attempting to learn about the validity of the other. And two, people with BVI are lacking subjectivity to the clinical processes that hypothesize the direction of causality regarding mental health issues. So in other words, the social model points to an essentialist perspective of identity for people with BVI, while the medical model points to an idealist perspective of identity. I argue that liberation health theory can aid health rehabilitation professionals in their work with people with BVI by creating opportunities for a realistic approach to identity development, thereby teaching people with BVI how these identities function in society to effectively work with them, to manipulate them, to work for them rather than against, right? And as a result, the presence of mental health symptoms becomes more discernible and problem-solving, more targeted and impactful. In our next segment, we're going to learn about the blindness equation. So stay tuned. The blindness equation was developed by me, myself, and it serves to frame the mental health symptoms of people with BVI holistically by combining both the medical and social models of disability, thereby improving the visualization of causality. So the blindness equation can be illustrated by the following. X plus Y is greater than or equal to Z. X and Y represent predictor variables. Now, predictor variables are used to predict an outcome, while Z represents the dependent variable, and dependent variables are basically what's being measured. So, for instance, an individual with BVI presents with depression symptoms and isolation behaviors. These are identified as the Z variable, right? And upon assessment and discussion, you find that the individual with BVI is struggling with work-related and mobility tool issues. These are identified as X and Y variables, right? So with these variables in place, the blindness equation appears as such. Mobility tool, plus work-related issues equal, is greater than or equal to 
depression and isolation. Now, to determine whether depression derives from a medical or social lens requires the health professional in concert with the individual with BVI to assess the independence effects, okay? The independence effects or any effects to the person's level of independence based on the predictor variables. Meaning, how does mobility tool issues affect the individual's independence? Similarly, how do work-related issues affect the individual's independence? So you're noticing how the social model, by incorporating the social model, we are pointing out how and to what extent society restricts opportunities resulting in dependency. And if you're interested in more information about this, you can look at Oliver 1990 in the scholarly section. So I want to give you an example of a contrast because that's important. In contrast, an individual with BVI may also present with anger emotions and aggressive behavior. These are represented by the Z variable, right? And upon assessment and discussion, you find that the individual with BVI is struggling with recent changes in their visual acuity, and they're having a difficult time watching movies and other hobbies that they were able to do previous to the change. And these are represented by X and Y variables. So in this scenario, you would want to assess the level of independence effects. You always assess the level of independence effects, right? And you want to determine how focused the objective site is associated with the individual's anger and aggression. Keeping in mind that although the medical model may primarily apply here, there may be changes as the predictor variables change naturally, right? For example, watching movies may change if there is a relationship involved. So why is this important, right? Well, let me answer that. Seminal work, seminal meaning extremely critical and important work, seminal work by Brennan and others in 2011 was the first to identify a discrepancy between objective and subjective assessments of visual impairment. Results indicated that the greater severity of subjective visual impairment, the higher effects of support from families and higher rates of distress. Now, this was an important finding because it meant that people with poorer visual acuity levels do not necessarily correspond to higher levels of distress, nor higher levels of social support from families and the like. Rather, it is the emotional and cognitive appraisal of one's visual impairment, the subjective understanding of what that means that corresponds to both levels of social support and levels of distress. And what's interesting is this same discrepancy, guys, was noted years later in 2020, in a literature review by Demon and Silverstein. Yet, we continue to utilize objective measures of visual impairment to determine causality. Causality in mental health, causality in need, and pretty much many things. In fact, current studies seeking an association between objective evaluations of visual function and depressive symptoms were unable to correlate such scores. Rather, 
higher levels of depressive symptoms were found when assessing vision-specific distress, like emotional reactions to vision loss, or vision-related tasks, like navigating. So consequently, people with BVI continue to be assessed unreliably and with poor validity, leading to current mental health interventions focused on managing eye disease progression and those related psychological issues rather than assessing for social determinants. You know, I want to share another story about my mother because I think I think I believe this story will aid in deepening the understanding of the importance of holistic and improved clinical assessment for people with BVI and how critical disability theory can be an effective framework to apply. My mother, um, this experience is relative to VR. You know, many people may have a misconception that VR services are short-term relating to employment obtainment and then services are considered unnecessary, right? And while this notion is certainly acceptable and is advertised as such, research has indicated that VR services tend to be more of a recurring service, resulting in a level of dependence, which we've discussed is not ideal. Five separate recent studies have suggested VR's dependent nature due to data analyses indicating misleading accounts to VR long-term effectiveness for people with BVI. And if you're interested in looking at those studies, you can look at them through the scholarly reference section. Some examples of the studies include authors Clapp and others 2020 and Dean and others 2017. So going back to my mother's story, my mother is currently seeking VR related services specific to her mobility and its employment implications. My mother had an assistive ramp installed outside of her home through VR about six years ago, and it has since become dangerous and a safety hazard due to the wear and tear of the wood and the outside elements, just being exposed to those elements. So there are holes, rather big holes, in different sections of her ramp, and she's been in conversation with her VR counselor regarding the service request, and it has been an ongoing issue for the last two years. My mother has yet to have the ramp rebuilt, and the reason uh, is twofold, that there are no rehabilitation engineers available to service her, and her case is surprisingly still under review, so it hasn't been approved. So at this point, she has simply requested the ramp to be removed due to its safety um, implications. She has been tripping and it's become more dangerous and more stressful for her. She has missed mail due to this and work because many mail vendors will not use the ramp. And so, you know, it's a multi-directional problem, right? Yet it's being perceived as unidirectional. That the problem is within the person that it's, if my mom weren't blind, this wouldn't be a problem. Critical disability theory can be defined as a methodology of inquiry that, and I'm going to quote here, involves scrutinizing not bodily or mental impairments, but the social norms that define particular attributes as impairments 
as well as the social conditions that concentrate stigmatized attributes in particular populations, end quote. And that's by Minnick, 2016, paragraph six, if you're interested. So when considering findings from current literature, there exists no utility of critical frameworks nor approaches that examine the mental health issues of people with BVI. So while current research exists surrounding the mental health effects of social and impairment-related issues relative to this population, and you can see research by Zabata 2020A, 2020B for this, if you're interested, none of these findings have been replicated in practice since first identified in 2011, with current practice primarily focused on vision-related mental health issues, such as visual acuity. And I say all this to introduce a word and a concept, a term and a concept, you guys, my listeners. A holistic health provider understands how social conditions and practical systemization undermine the capacities of patients to obtain health care, comply with treatment, and adjust lifestyles successfully. These providers operate using a structural vulnerability assessment in healthcare practice to justify the mobilization of resources inside and outside clinical settings to improve a patient's immediate access to care and long-term health outcomes. Keyword long-term, right? So ultimately, these providers conceptualize healthcare efforts with the consideration of advocacy, sponsorship, and mentorship to comprehensively affect socialized health inequities. And this term and concept was adapted from Burgoyce and others in 2017. So our final segment will demonstrate how to move toward becoming a holistic health provider when working with people with BVI by introducing critical metacognitive approaches and a practical tool modified from empirical research that can be used to inform practice and defend the identities of people with BVI. So stay tuned. Now that we have defended the utility of both models of care in the conceptualization and assessment of mental health issues and symptoms for people with BVI, we will now introduce a modified tool to help guide critical dialogue around said topics from a structural perspective. And finally, we will close with a set of discipline-specific metacognitive questions that can aid in exposing the dominant discourse and relevant training that helped shape professional knowledge, specifically the knowledge of VR, 
O&M professionals, and care practitioners. Let me emphasize, you guys, my listeners, care practitioners, I'm included in that, right? I am a clinical social worker. I understand this is a problem and that I do need to have an introspective perspective. This is not a blame game. This is a problem that we're foreseeing and the skills that we have are are limited to fixing that problem. So the Structural Vulnerability Assessment Tool was developed by Burgoyce and others in 2017 and is intended to operationalize structural vulnerability in clinical practice by highlighting the pathways through which specific local hierarchies and broader sets of power relationships exacerbate individual patients' health problems, thereby leading to well-targeted and timely intervention. And it's based on the well-rounded research surrounding social determinants of health. Now, the modified version of this tool is intended to investigate the presence of mental health symptoms amidst vulnerability factors for people with BVI and is informed by critical disability literature. So such work is aimed at providing health rehabilitation professionals with improved assessment methods of how blindness or visual impairment intercedes with different systems, thereby improving targeted treatment methods. For instance, the domains for this vulnerability tool include financial security, residence or housing, risk environments, food access, social network, legal status, education, and discrimination, to which all guiding questions are modified to include a mental health assessment. Further, the modification also includes an entirely new domain that I've that I've um, demonstrated, and it's the disability domain. And these questions include, do you trust your primary care provider to appropriately assess your healthcare needs? With a follow-up question, how is your disability considered? Another question, have you experienced any mental health issues related to how your disability is received by society, your employer, or another entity? Another question, have you ever discussed what disability means to you as an identity with a trained mental health professional? And a follow-up to that question would be, do you need help locating a professional? So you can see how all of these questions purposefully redirect the direction of causality from the individual to the structural systems, right? Now, regarding the metacognitive questions and approaches, I want to preface this. These questions are designed to test knowledge that attribute to treatment conclusions for people with BVI. Such metacognitive exercises are aimed at the pedagogical framework that positions mental health care as a medical or social issue by health rehabilitation professionals. Work by Kant, 2014, describes such efforts as dominant discourse, right? So the process of becoming aware of the dominant discourse that shaped one's professional understanding of mental health. 
So we're going to begin with VR counselors. And I'm going to start with a reminder. Assessment services, which is a service that leads to diagnostic and treatment services, such as counseling and psychological assessment, have 34% lower odds of competitive employment for people with BVI. As a result, the concept of risk relative to assessment services and competitive employment through VR was suggested to be a biological factor in service delivery. Biological meaning related to human motives and human behavior. This concept of risk was also identified in other studies. London CMARS 2019 recent review postulated the potential risk for VR consumers with BVI to have unsuccessful closures due to poorly targeted supports and interventions. McDonald and others 2021 also postulated the same risk, stating that people with BVI who are also receiving social security benefits may be at risk for poor employment quality. So this notion of risk implies that mental health issues are considered a risk if not associated with employment outcomes. So from an interdependent lens, such behavior really limits the long-term potential of psychological services and contributes to unsuccessful closures. So here's the question for VR counselors. VR counselors may authorize short-term psychological treatment for people with BVI should they deem it necessary to achieve employment outcomes. However, vision loss has been studied and found to be quite complex in its presentation, with findings indicating that social and medical implications exist, and many short-term interventions are ineffective for people with BVI. Assuming you can authorize short-term psychological treatment for these cases, would you experience this information differently if you possessed a different social vantage point? So here you can see how this question intends to get behind the pedagogical learnings that are encompassing the behavior of VR counselors. For O&M, I wanna give another reminder. A recent systematic review performed by Key and others in 2022 seeking to assess the cost benefit of O&M training for people with BVI, concluded that the services offer substantial benefits toward objective functioning and thus are worth the cost of providing. However, additional research by Zabata 2020 noted that people with BVI who utilize a cane or a guide dog as a mobility tool are 64% less likely to be employed. So there's a contrast, right? So here's the question for O&M. O&M professionals may authorize and work with people with BVI across the lifespan, aiding in promoting independence through mobility training. However, mobility tool use has been studied and found to be correlated to the social environment affecting psychological constructs of self-efficacy, disability identity, and self-perceptions. And only 5% of people with BVI are estimated to use mobility tools, 
according to the National Federation for the Blind. So when considering most O&M training focuses on objective assessments of navigation and rarely are inclusive of subjective assessments related to measuring O&M training, in whose interest is it that you do not know this information? Again, trying to get the professional to understand that there is critical information related to the population being served and it is not taught or not readily available. Lastly, care practitioners. So here I am, folks. I'm a care practitioner. I'm a clinical social worker. And I really think about this question um, introspectively. And here it is. Care practitioners have a plethora of skills and expertise in behavioral health and can operate under many different modalities to find the most effective care approach for clients. However, when it comes to working with people with BVI, the term disability generally offers assumptions of medical specific need or medically focused care. And although many care practitioners, including myself, would generally accept seeing a person with BVI for clinical therapy, the notion, the idea presents feelings of incompetence, feelings of inappropriateness and discomfort. The question here is, who is telling you this information and why are they telling the story the way that they are telling it? What do you want to know about people with BVI and what do you even know about people with BVI and their needs? What do you actually know? Right? You know, when I think about the experiences that my mother has had, the secondary trauma from observing those experiences as a child and now adult, noticing the impact of poorly defined and perverted interpretations of what it means to be blind, it has sparked something in me. And I'm not saying that unless you have a mother with blindness, you're not going to get it. But what I am telling you is that unless you don't try, you won't. You won't get it. If you don't embrace the discomfort an attempt to learn about the blind community, you will always do what you've always done, telling yourself that you're doing what's right. What you do matters and your role matters. It's not organizations that change policy and practice. It's people that change policy and practice within organizations. So, we have covered the role of identity in the lives of people with BVI by way of critical disability and liberation health theory. We've emphasized the causal sequencing of identity fluctuations from social marginalization processes, microaggressions, discrimination, prejudice that produce fatiguing effects and impact the cognitive bandwidth of people with BVI. Critical education was shared about the limitations of working from a single model of care, and the blindness equation was introduced as a remedy to improve clinical assessment and elicit meaningful relationships between people with BVI and health rehabilitation professionals. Lastly, 
we introduced the Structural Vulnerability Assessment Tool in a modified fashion to further guide involved professionals to well-targeted interventions for people with BVI and practical metacognitive exercises were suggested that specifically encapsulate the pedagogical learnings most often used in the conclusions of mental health symptoms for people with BVI. I wanna thank all of my listeners and my followers for listening to me today. I wanna tell my listeners to subscribe, keep listening and keep seeing things differently. And most importantly, keep seeing with more than just your sight. Thank you.